Beautiful listeners, you know we love you, and we appreciate all the support you've given us to this point. If you would like to further support us in our art, in our effort to allow these wonderful conversations to continue to take place, head over to patreon.com slash inside the sound. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is MJ. I'm Ryan. And we have a really special treat for you today. We have a, a very special guest to introduce. Uh, the guitar you just heard was uh, uh, our guest today. And do you want to you introduce yourself? Um, Rick Espino. And, um, you know, that last name rings a faint bell. Um, do you have any relation to Ryan or anything? Or anything? Um, Ryan's... Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I know this guy from somewhere. This is a very special treat. Um, and we even actually have Ryan's brother uh, sort of chilling with us, listening here in studio, um, participating. We're, we're kind of like having family bro time tonight. I feel special that you guys are including me in this, really. It's cool. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, too. Um, I really wanted uh, Rick to start out with something, uh, something on the acoustic guitar here. Um, it's well. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you and bring you on the podcast is because of what you've been doing uh, lately. I know you've been working on sort of like transposing hymns that were meant for piano and organ. Yeah, an organ, um, but on the um, on the acoustic guitar and playing them almost. I mean, that, that it has a classical guitar sound. I mean, you're playing on a nylon string, so that's kind of one of the, the the first things we really wanted to, to bring up. And but um, tell us a little bit. Before you even dive into that, like, um, could you tell us a bit about your, like, your history with music? Like, what got you into music, and how did you, how did you start on this path that you find yourself on today? Um, I guess it just started like everybody, you know, you're in high school and you, you hear the your favorite rock band, and then you wanna, 
everybody wants to emulate them so they all <laughs> start learning in high school how to play and then a few of you get together and have a band and i guess what happened was is um i started taking uh you know they had a guitar class in high school so i figured oh well, this is a good way to uh you know spend an hour playing guitar <laughs> <laughs> yeah and getting credit for it and there you so go. the guy was um I guess he was a, a jazz bass and jazz guitarist, and so he did a lot of arrangements like that. And then, you know, one day he hands me some classical music. He goes, uh, see if you can learn this. And so, hmm. I, you know, I did. And then he just uh, sent me over to, you know, U of A, and they auditioned and said, okay, you can be in the program. And so huh. I did that for about a year. And then, uh, I don't know, got, I guess I was looking at the career paths with it, uh, and so I, uh, everybody that I knew that was graduating was a music, became a music teacher, worked in a music store, and yeah, um, I kind of uh, went into electronics. But I remember talking to the uh, guitar professor a year later, and he goes, you know, well, nobody knows what you can become in five years. You know, if you'd have stuck it out, you might have been world class in five years. And I think that applies to a lot of people. A lot of times you, maybe you give up on something too early huh? instead of, you know, uh, really putting a lot of effort into it and seeing where you might end up with it. I still kept playing, you know, through, throughout the years. I mean, um, well, and I've heard you play. I mean, in, and when back in the day when Ryan and I were playing in bands in our twenties, uh, you know, you'd show up and plug in the bass. <laughs> play along with us it was a lot of fun yeah i was gonna you got some jobs man you used to play in a rock band at one point right it seems like i remember going to practice with you oh, in the 80s yeah there was a guy uh, named rick avila and he he had he had gone to la and he recorded some you know independent with the independent labels yeah a couple albums and then he came back to tucson but okay i i was uh his guitars for a while he's he's a pretty good singer that's cool but uh, yeah i don't know what became of those guys but i think sometimes um i think with a lot of bands is is um maybe they get locked into sounding like everyone else instead of finding their own voice hmm. or you know um writing you know material that uh they may play material that reflects who they actually are I see you know and I think they, they, you know, um, maybe wanted to sound like other bands that were famous at the time. And yeah. Sometimes standing out from the crowd and being uh, different is, isn't easy. <laughs> no, it really isn't. I, it certainly echoes my own experience. Uh, and a lot of what you described about going through school. I mean, I, I know Ryan and I have talked at length, you know, privately and on the podcast about you know, what that's like for musicians and, and that transition from childhood into adulthood and how you find your way in life. And so many of us get lost and want to play music, but just, you know, either we do keep it up as a hobby or we don't. And, um, you know, well, actually, I really did want to ask you about what I sort of led into when we started the podcast, which was the hymn that you played. And so the, um, what I've understood from what you've told me, what Ryan's told me, um, is that this is a project you're working on where you're, you're working on transposing all of these different songs these hymnals these hymns like on the guitar and could you speak a little bit about like what inspired you to do that and and what you're trying to get out of that that project well to me it's like um the feeling you get when you hear those you know everybody's you know got their own well every 
every spiritual or religion usually has some body of music that's attached to it, you yeah. know, um, Catholic, Lutheran, I mean, um, in, you know, Judaism, there's traditional mm -hmm. songs and, and, you know, you look at just about any religion, music becomes a way for people to connect spiritually or people to, you know, uh, express their joy or their sorrow and so with music um it seems there's a lot of um it's connected yeah to, to anything that we do monumental in our lives you know if you just you know throughout history if they have a wedding well they're, they're going to have music to, before the ceremony and it, you know it kind of signals to people okay this is a, the sacred part and then later on when huh. they celebrate they have a different kind of music that people dance to and so you know, it's amazing how integral music is to everything that we do, and so um, I, I started getting you know certain you know a really good feeling playing it, and so I started doing it more and more, and 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 then I started realizing that you know a lot of people don't connect with those. Uh, oh, the hymns you mean? Yeah, because yeah. they're kind of in some ways they're kind of dry. <laughs> you know. The, <laughs> Complain. You know the way the way they're performed. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought about it. I go, well, you know, if you if you hear a, a a spiritual or you hear some gospel music, I mean, there there's a lot of passion and feeling right with their spirituality and and you know you want to keep a certain level of reverence, but I think there could be some emotion and passion about the way you're feeling. I think a lot of like a lot of let's say I'll use Christians as an example. Uh, because it gets the lens that I see the world through. But a lot of Christians that are in a traditional setting where it's the hymns and it's sang the same way it was done, say, 400 years ago, the way they used to do it with an organ or whenever the organ was invented. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, it can be a bit, like you said, dry. And especially as guitar players, I know sitting in a traditional service like that where it's a very kind of one-dimensional type of music that you're playing, it almost sometimes feels like a, a funeral dredge. Like, it's just... Or, you know, you, know you wonder I mean? why like, people aren't connecting. It's like you you hear people hear, sing something off the radio, and there's all this emotion and passion. Yeah. When they're just singing, even if singing in the shower, doing gardening. Hmm. But then these other ones, you know, there is a lot of... There could be a lot of emotional and, and passion and spiritual power behind it, but, you know... Uh, people have to find a way to relate to it. So yeah. I was thinking, you know, what if they were performed on like guitar and string instruments are pretty passionate instruments and, and just by the way they're done, you know, if something's on a violin, you can you can feel the vibrato and, you know, just the dynamics of the way it's performed. And so, you know, you look at that music because I was looking, um, what I did is I'm starting with the public domain ones. Okay. Right? And you start looking at those and some of those were written actually written in early 1800s yeah they're old and the tradition back then was is they take a poem that they really liked or some other uh hymn that had words they liked and they'd adapt it mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like now how you know hands off there's um copyright i think they were a little more free about borrowing and using and nobody had any problem with that and so i see some of the ones that are open or public domain Originally, they had taken the uh, words and adapted it from another one, and then they took the tune from another hymn and adapted that, and so you have this 
you know, borrowing and and then it creates something unique. But yeah, but there was a lot of that in the early 1800s. And what's interesting, you listen to this music; it's it probably sounds classical on the guitar more so because a lot of them were written in the early 18 mid 1800s, and mm -hmm. even popular music. I was thinking, well, it has a different way of of doing it because I was thinking, you look at Baroque music. It's you know a lot of jazz is is kind of borrows the same kind of thing because baroque music they would have what they call figured bass they'd have a bass line and a chord progression and they would just make it up as they went mm -hmm. and so they were basically jamming and <laughs> box day they were jamming on the spot <laughs> and yep. so you know you have jazz guys doing that they just give them a, a lead sheet and they right they do that so I was wondering you know if say a hundred years say jazz died and blues died and. 200 years from now, somebody digs up a time capsule, and all they have is the sheet music. Hmm. They would never guess, you know, the, you know, the soul in that's involved, and you know, the stretching of the strings and all the passion that goes into it. They might just be playing those eighth notes, just dry eighth notes. Well, and go, well, why is everyone so excited about this <laughs> music? And and huh. when, you know, maybe. You know, now we look at Baroque music, you know, we're, we're making our best guess, but, you know, we don't know what kind of inflections and passion they had on certain things that maybe we're not capturing. I grew up you know? listening to Baroque music and, and harpsichord music in particular. I, I really like the sound of the harpsichord. It's like, it sounds like a, a guitar, but it's set up, it's played like a piano and um, it's great, but it's not a very... There is some dynamics that you can play on a harpsichord, but you, your range is really limited. Whereas the pianoforte, the piano, as we know it today, but the pianoforte, the whole reason why it was such an innovation is because, you know, instead of that key that you're pressing down, plucking a string, like much like you would pluck a guitar string, you're actually, a little felt hammer is now tapping on a set of strings, like usually two or three, and it makes this resonance. And it's, so it's it's a rhythmic tapping of the strings is what a piano is. So an acoustic piano is, is actually a percussive a percussive stringed instrument, right? Um, and it has a ton of, of dynamic range. And a lot of that Baroque music that you're talking about that I remember listening growing up, like, um, you know, I've heard it recorded, you know, especially the famous ones that Bach has done and, 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 and Bombs, like, or I can't say the name all of a sudden on top of my head, but like, there's a, a few really big famous composers from that era and you hear like modern recordings of how their music is done. You'll hear some people interpret it a very dry and rigid way and you have other people that give it more more feeling and emotion and play with more dynamics even though it's not necessarily written into the music and I just find that fascinating because you mentioned like, you know, time capsule, right? All you have is the sheet music. How do you really get the feeling and the reasoning behind what this music is for unless there's that live performance element to it or, or like I said you know with the stringed instrument you have that feel so that's interesting it makes me uh, wonder because I feel like how fast you play a piece uh -huh. really changes the emotion of it yeah so it's like how do we how do we know how fast it was originally meant to be played because I like the ones that ha don't have tempo on because yeah back in the day they didn't even necessarily mark it with tempo would they right like yeah. some of the classical pieces, I've heard you know various uh, guitar players play them, and some just have a different feel to their playing. They play it maybe at a different speed, and it just sounds better. Like some people play it too fast and doesn't feel the same. I, I think you see hear that with guitarists tend yeah. to be notorious for playing things too fast. <laughs> well, you know, because it, it, 
it becomes a technical exercise yeah. rather than, you know, sometimes I would think some things are better slowed down. When you slow them down, you start, people have more room for rubato effect or more for putting more uh, emphasis on certain phrases and yeah. building things up. And, it, and if you slow it down, then, you you know, maybe technically it's easier or more familiar so if they've learned it very well and then they could they could uh, inject more yeah. you know, thought into how they're performing it. It's got me thinking about Beethoven's, uh, I want to say, yeah, Seventh Symphony, Second Movement, which is an A minor, which is a really famous piece of music. I don't even need to play it for folks because it's like anyone that's heard it before will know it. And then anyone that's never heard it, if you just go search Spotify or wherever and you put down Beethoven's Seventh, it's an A minor. And I've heard different recordings. And, and this is a very famous piece of music that I got obsessed with as a kid. It's about 14 minutes long uh, on some of the recordings. And, and some different versions will play it quicker and some will play it slow. I, the slower versions tend to be the ones I, I hear more often. Um, but the I kind of like where it – I've heard a few different recordings where it's a more of a mid-tempo instead of a slow adiago, like a slower tempo. And I like it faster. Like even though it's it, – uh, even though it's um, – it's, I think, more popularly played as a slower piece. I, I like it when the pace is picked up a bit. So yeah, it's funny how that works, right? It's like you – I also like that with classical music, <laughs> a lot of times you can get different recordings and find different versions of the, the real famous stuff and hear sort of a different variety, different take on how it could be interpreted. I think uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but you're wrong about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think so? That makes sense. For sure. Yeah, so looking looking at it, I think one of the, the challenges was um, you have organ voicings, mm -hmm. you know, piano voicings, and some of those will translate almost directly to the guitar, but other ones, you know, some strange fingering, and so you have to kind of um, have modify your playing, come up with a, a slightly different um way of playing because hmm. as you go through more and more hymns and you, and you encounter the same voicings over and over then there just becomes like some um, you know hymn way of playing because you, you I see. use the same fingerings over and over which you know I've heard some jazz um, arrangements that use some of those and but they're not common most they're not voicings that you know everybody just uses all the time so that that's kind of neat, you know, learning some new things or uh, increasing your vocabulary. But you know, once you get that down, you know, it got it has me thinking about the piano, and it's really the same thing. Like the way that you might finger a, a, a passage could be done differently, and you sort of want to, like, especially on the piano, and this is very true on the guitar too. But what's really helpful is when you set up your fingers to be in a spot where the next transition or the next change, your fingers are already in the right area to start that next part of the song. And with guitar, it's also very important too, right? Like if you're going through a rock song or any song and your hands are down at you know, 12th fret, let's say, uh, and then you've got to switch over. You can certainly switch quicker on the guitar, but it, like to help maintain the flow of the song, I understand what you're saying when you're, like, you're trying to get these voicings, you're trying to get these, these notes that come from you know, music that was really made for organ and play them and have them sound and resonate on the guitar that you'd have to maybe be inventive yeah, because some, yeah. some things, the voices will just, you can play them verbatim, but other ones you have to, you know, say, swap the inner, some of the inner voices or... Like you mean know, a sixth to a third, like that kind of thing? Yeah, or well, like, you know, if you have a, a chord, the third and the fifth uh, don't match on the guitar, but you can swap 
you know, swap them, invert them. Where oh, the, I see. You know, the note that's the, the fifth can be, you know, on a lower The one string. that was on the top can go on the bottom string instead. It's the same note, like an octave or, lower. I see. Yep. Or, or you, you know, you can swap the strings you're playing on. And, the, you know, a lot of guitar is like, um, it's almost like a, an, an, an oral illusion. Huh. Know, a lot of times, huh. though, just by emphasizing certain things, you can make it sound like more things are happening than actually happening. Because you kind of have to. If you if you can only do three or four voices really well at one time, then you you have to make things you know sound thicker than they are, or, well, actually, or emphasize things. That, and because yeah. your voice, your ear will latch onto certain things. So if you if you play a melody note with a lot of emphasis, your your ear will, you know, your mind will focus on that, and then, you know, other things can happen behind that. I mean, but it's funny that you say, because this is a, something that actually your son, Ryan has really helped me gather this understanding on the guitar, um, and there's a song in particular, actually, um, the, it's the inside, it's the title song for our podcast called Inside the Sound. At the end of it, there, I don't know what, what, what note you're playing there, Ryan, but it's, you play the same note three times in a row, but because of the way that you play it and the intonation, the third time you hear the octave, like it's like a pinch almost, and you hear it resonate to an octave above what, you know, like that, you know, and it's all in the way you use your hands because the guitar, you know, it, 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 like all those harmonics that have, uh, there's like overtones on these keys that you can sort of, I actually really love the sound of those overtones. Like the, 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 the pinching is great. A lot of 80s music does the pinching. Um, but a lot of like, well, one of my favorite guitarists, I'll, I name drop all the time, I'll, I'll omit his name today, but like um, a lot of like the harmonics that you can do with just sort of muting the strings instead of holding down the string on the fret, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's interesting the guitar has sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking at, layers to it and how your mind can kind of like focus in on that, dep you know, depending on how you, you put it together. That's really fascinating. What's interesting is uh, how many of the, Hymns are in like in the key of D, which is, you know, a favorite kind of key for guitars. For D, sure. D and uh, C. But a lot of the hymns are in like typically on guitar or uh, keys that guitarists usually don't like, like B flat and E flat. Yeah. And A flat. <laughs> but, you know, with a guitar, the thing is that, you know, the same form could be moved over a half step. But other, th other things it can't. But what's interesting is you can have voices... Like an E flat, where you're using an open string, like you know this, and you have an open G string, and it still goes really well. So, um, sometimes, you know, keys that maybe guitarists aren't used to, you can still like that. There's a G open string there. Yeah. Which you wouldn't think with a flat key that you could do something like that. So sometimes I'm um, playing around with those. But that's, that was one of the challenges, is trying to leave things in the same key that they were notated in, which, you know, with keyboards, it's, it's probably, um, keyboard players tend to be more um, well-practiced, and so playing yeah. sight reading and playing things in any key isn't as much of a challenge for, say, maybe, you know, um, some a lot of guitarists aren't as musically literate or they can't read music <laughs> as well as they can read a book. Or so at all. Like or at me, all. I can't read music at all. So I, I, I was kind of <laughs> curious. I mean, you guys both read music. Mm -hmm. What is the, the main difference uh, between guitar and piano when you're... 
piano has a lot more range. I mean, you're going to use both the treble and the bass clef, and uh, the guitar has, you know, pretty limited range compared to a piano. I mean, you can go down into the bass clef, but not much, and, you know. The, also, the, like, the only real experience I have reading guitar music is in jazz band, and I really didn't even do the guitar much. I did the bass in jazz band more and trombone. Um, I find that, like, a piece of music that I might say see with a guitar or like a single instrument, like a single note instrument, like a trombone, like when I was in or orchestra or like a band, you know, I might have one sheet of music in front of me to play an entire song, sometimes more, two sheets, three sheets. Whereas that same song with the piano, because there's so much going on, you've got two, both the treble and the bass going on at the same time. It's going to be seven pages, right, for the same length of time. So the piano has a lot... Because of, you know, it's a two, well, it, both of these are two-handed instruments, but because of the range, like you mentioned, 88 keys is what eight, I forget how many octaves on a piano, I should know intimately, but I don't. Um, but it's 88 keys on a piano, and, and like, there's just so much you can do. Um, and, and the piano's been around so many hundreds of years that, that a lot of that music is a lot more complex. I, I don't know, it's just... Well, just the ability to play a complete rhythm and a complete melody on the same instrument. Like the guitar, yeah. you can't really play a complete rhythm and melody at the same time. I know some of those like guitarists you, we watched can't seem like they Well, can. like like my dad was saying they pick yeah. the right notes so it sounds like both of them are continuing at the same time, but I see. they're really not. That no that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and with the piano, you know, you you can absolutely always have um, that bass line under and you and part of what you do with the piano is you learn how to play both at once. You learn how to do bass lines with your left and, and solo lead lines with your right and they interplay with each other. It's It can be very complex. I mean, I spent years doing it and I'm, there's plenty of people who can do better than me. But. <laughs> but yeah, things have really opened up a lot in the last 30 years. I'd say that, you know, there's a lot of people crossing over back and forth. There's people that are, um, you know, world-class classical guitarists that learn, you know, Chet Atkins, uh, you know, style Travis picking. Oh, yeah, and okay. And they kind of mix them together and, and huh. create some new things. And, you know, they're doing a lot of what they uh, did on the nylon string. They're doing it with steel strings. And so there's a lot of crossover. And hmm. and there's a lot of people that are really good with finger style now that maybe weren't uh, out there as much um, before, at least with popular kind of things. Yeah, but it's crazy how much... Um diversity there is now these days you talk about in the last 30 years I, you know if i even narrowed down that scope a bit to the last say five to ten years even because of the internet like the variety of musicians that we we're okay there's so many people on this planet it's it's hard like our brains can't really quite fully process it but there's so many good musicians now just because of the percentage of the population and they're all over the world like it it kind of boggles my mind to think about how many quality musicians I've never heard of before. Well, there's so much, there's so much sharing now. Cause I remember when I first started, the only way to learn was you find somebody in the neighborhood that knew how to play or right. you had to take a record and, and you know, back then there was know, bad. 45s Sorry, folks. And mics. 45 RPMs or, you know, the big 78 ones. Oh yeah. yeah. And then what the you do is you take the 45s and you'd lower, slow them down. So that you could hear yeah. what the notes were, and then you, you know, so that, and then the cassette players came out. I did that with. I learned guitar with uh, with the CD player that way. Um, on on well, it was a particular band I really liked, and I would 
uh, I had a CD player that let me slow down the music, and it made a big difference. I could like, oh, I see what they're doing now. Like, especially but if it didn't change the pitch. Even then, uh, sometimes you don't know exactly what they're doing unless you see them live. And That's you're true. Like, oh, wait a minute, I was doing that wrong. Or yeah, or they'll be playing it up in a different place in the neck than you were, because you could have yeah. the same note, you know be played in two or three different places on the guitar the exact same note and so somebody could be playing it something in the third fret and you know but, and then the but the person that the actual artist is playing it somewhere else right like a different a different voice like a different part on the neck but that's got me thinking actually reminds me of something that Nuno Betancourt said that Ryan shared in another podcast well for him he considered that like a good thing like a blessing because because he couldn't see the guitar player actually play it and he had to do it all by ear it allowed him to not be a copy or a replica. And I found that to be true myself. You know, I had this journey where I was really obsessed with one guitar player for a long, long time and uh, does a lot of open tunings and sort of specializes in open tunings. And even though you, th you would think it's a simple thing, but with, with, the, with the piano, it's just in tune, right? So I, as a pianist by trade, when I approach the guitar, I just was sort of standard tuning. I never really even, I never even considered that you could play entire songs or entire albums with a differently tuned guitar, right? And it was years later before I, tr I actually figured out how these tunings sound and, and I've sort of started exploring them. But back in the day when I was, I was trying to reproduce the same sound, I couldn't do it with one guitar. So like on my solo album, I put four guitars in a song to get that similar resonance and effect, you know? But that, that gave me my own sound, something that was completely unique that no one else was doing at the time, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. You get if the open tuning is different enough, it becomes almost like learning another instrument to yeah. be able to do for to, real to be conversant and be able to do a lot of you know fun things with it. So you know you you have the same left and right hand technique, but it's so in some ways it, it's like a, a different a different instrument. It, it does. It, it but it really once I once I got that concept and I was okay with learning, like. To me, it's like when you when you tune your guitar into an open tuning, and like you said, it becomes a new instrument. It's like you get to you get to fall in love again with your instrument, and you get to get to know your instrument all over again. Almost, it's like a new experience, and you don't even have to buy a new <laughs> instrument. Like that's why I love about the guitar. You know, there's so many ways to tune it. I'm stubborn about that though because I you're always stubborn about I everything. I still haven't mastered standard tuning yet. And I know I don't yeah, want to open that can of worms. <laughs> That's like opening Pandora's box. You might have a point, Ryan. You might want to just stick to the good old classic standard tuning or drop D, man. I, I get it. You were a, you were a, a drop D fan for a while there. Why do you have to bring that up? Just because I listened to Stain for a few years means you want to. Every time he's got to bring up my grunge phase, my heavy metal phase, where I was like playing the guitar, basically bent over on the floor, almost like hanging down. <laughs> So you just picture me with, and of course the guitar was gray, right? Had to be a dark color. I was wearing a black shirt usually. Oh, we had little t-shirts made when my band when we were teens. Mine said Rockstar on it in white letters. It was just a black shirt with white letters said Rockstar, and on the back said the name of my band. And so, yeah, I'd wear that shirt and play the guitar down at my knees. Yeah. yeah. It was a phase, Ryan. I got over it, okay? <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. Appreciate it. Well, you a lot of the the music we wrote together, you were in drop D. Yeah, it's true. So well, it's 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 an easy way to play power chords. That's why I like it, and that's why I like open tuning as well because it it lends to power chords. And I love 
I love – well, we talked about this before the podcast, Ryan, you know, the major scale. And I people get – People hate on it. People like, hate on it. People do. But I love major tune music. I really do. It has a happier sound to me, like a more yeah. pleasant sound. And I like an open tune guitar because you get that major scale and you can like, – there's so much you can do with power chords – and as a rhythm player, you know, the open tuning was just like a light bulb moment. I mean, it's take, taken me many, many years to start playing around with it in the right way. And so you're talking about like an open E where you could just use a, a oh yeah, slide like, almost. Like in, right here. In, this in is an open D. I got this tuning from uh, the man himself, my, my guitar friend. Online. Hold on. So this is, oop, that's flapping. Um, this is D, A, D, F sharp, A, D. So it's open tuned completely. So I can t take my finger across the fretboard and get a full, fully voiced chord, and then go down, and that's great and everything. But what I really like is where I can like kind of mix and match some of the open strings and. It's a little out of tune there, but I like being able to like kind of mix it. Like like you said, how it's a new instrument. It I enjoy figuring out all those little nuances with what strings I can play with open and what strings I'm going to play with here when I'm pressing down the frets to get these different sounds, you know? Did you play that Find Relief song in open tuning? Yeah, a different tune than what I just played here. Different tuning, I should say. But yes, that's a, that was an open tune song. It was fun. <laughs> Have you heard it? Did, I, did uh, I could play it for you now if you want to hear it. No, I haven't, I haven't heard that. All right, let me play it for you. Because I own the rights to this song, I play the whole thing. Hold on. Because uh, we all wanted to hear your song now. You absolutely. This is why you came here. You forced it on us. Was to hear this song. I do like that riff. It's cool. By the way, this is a first take, so I never sang this song before this recording. Inside of a spoke to me, called out by my name. I kept it in there because I liked the mistake, you know? Find 
Listeners can have an idea how much of emotion was there. Am I wrong there? I wrote that song for therapy. Like that, this song was a result of uh, I. I my form of journaling is I write poetry, and so the tune just came to me, and the words came to me, and I wrote it down in my in my song book journal. You know, and um, I sort of hummed the melody, but I didn't, I didn't, that was the first time I sang the song and the song kind of hit me because of the things that were going on in my life. Uh, you know, I've got loved ones that I would like to be, I would like to see them more that I, I'm not able to because of things that are out of my control. And, um, that sort of also got me thinking about how, you know, it's taken me, I don't know, over a decade to figure out who I am and, and, you know, I wanted not only do I want these loved ones in my life, but I also want me to be in my life. Like, I want the person I really am supposed to be to show up for myself, if that makes any sense. So that's what this song was about. And, and I, I first was, I was thinking about, I was going to name the song, Who Are You? But then as the, as the poem kind of got written, it sort of wrote itself. At the end, it just, it says, you know, um, hope you find yourself and find relief, basically, or... Uh, and so that I just seemed like a better name for the song, so I just kept it there. But um, but yeah, I I basically cried like a baby while I wrote the poem, and then I sort of dried my tears and then hit record. So like, in fact, I think on the YouTube video that I released, it was like you can even see that I was sniffling and I was like crying, and then I played the song. But I don't know, man. For me, someone on Twitter said that they would rather. Um, I don't know, right after, like, rather make money than catch fields or something like that. And they meant it like in a dating sense. Like she was, a, she's a, a really like successful businesswoman, and and basically the effect is like she'd rather go work on her business than like you know fool around with the dummy. You know, sometimes dudes are dumb. <laughs> we can be dumb. Um, and you know, for me, it's funny. I have a whole different perspective. It's like the most emotional thing, the saddest thing that makes me feel bad, or or the best thing that makes me feel good. Like I want to capture that moment in song. For me, like. I can't live without that emotion, the good and the bad. So, um, you know, I use the negative stuff to try to make it the most beautiful music I can, or maybe I'll write a blues song, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, that song was therapy because I was able to get what I was feeling out in a way that felt like it was, it validated my experience. Like, it's okay to be sad because you can still make something beautiful with something sad, you know? Well, you guys were talking about that earlier that you can explain you can express things through music that you can't express any other way. You can create emotions inside of people oh, yeah. when they hear the music that you can't create any other way. So I'm, I, it made me think of a question. I don't know if this is too abstract, but I'd like to get your guys' opinion on it. Just, for example, you're both sitting there with a the guitar, right? You could have no preconceived notion of what you're going to do next. And then you just start playing yeah. And a song happens or a, a melody happens. It's like, where is that coming from? How, do, what, how does that, how can you just do that? Like, it's something I. 
I'm going to defer to the Jedi Master, uh, your dad, on this one because it's a deep question. Well, I'm I've let thought him about it. it first. And I'm not quite sure if it's just you have that stuff up in your subconscious somewhere and it kind of just comes out, or I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, it seems like, yeah, it, if you don't want to repeat your favorite pet technique kind of things that you're playing it seems like yeah you'd have to just uh, let something else take over and like you said you know you, you subconsciously you might already uh, have some ideas and thoughts you might actually well you could actually have melodies in your in your mind and so uh, they're there and then it's the only thing that's preventing them is you or your abilities on the instrument um, if, when you get to the point where you can think of, uh, of um, a melody and, it, and you can make it come out, then I think you start reaching this stream of consciousness point where, you know, as, as, it's, as it's being developed in your mind, it'll come out on the instrument. And, that, and some of the people that, uh, you know, different jazz musicians or other, you know, rock musicians that, that seem to have these, you know, really you know, unique ideas. I wonder if they reached the point mm. where they could make their ideas come out just, you know, real time. In, in well, Ryan and I have talked about this because, you know, he's really been coaching me on guitar for many years and, and we've talked about the process of removing friction from that process, right? Like getting out of your own way and like removing things, removing obstacles that get in the way of your hands and the instrument and as you master that over how many umpteen thousand repetitions of putting your hands on the instrument, eventually with the muscle memory that gets built up, that's what you're talking about, where it's like, I don't really even have to think anymore. Like in certain tunings on the guitar, I don't even need to worry about where my fingers go. I close my eyes even. I just doesn't, I don't need sight because I feel, I feel in my heart and I feel it with my fingertips. So I use my heart and my mind with my eyes closed to move the music through my fingertips without having to look and see where I, I put them. What was, was interesting is I saw this uh, interview with Stanley Jordan. You okay. Know, you know the guy that plays almost like a piano because he, he taps. He does it all tapping. Yeah, the guys, that, the guys and gals that do that, like I still... He plays eight fingers and <sighs> what he'll do is... Like it's can, crazy. He can have a, an ostinato going with a bass almost like a piano and then he'll do the melody with the other hand. And he's, you hear it, and it sounds like... Well, I know bass players that do that, too. Um, and it's it's incredible. Like, wow. So what was interesting is he had this computer program that he was practicing with where it would play melodic fragments, uh -huh. and then he would have to try to copy them just from hearing them. And he would, you know, do it, and then he'd copy it, and then he'd move on to the next one mm -hmm. until he copied it. And so uh, what was interesting about that is if you can... You know, hear something, copy it, then you could probably reach the point where you, if you hear it in your mind, then it could just come out. I see. The, the same way. So sometimes, imitating other you know melodies by ear would, I think, ultimately help help you to do the same thing from within yourself. You know, if you hear. If you Absolutely. You know, when when I was when I was, uh, I had a really good teacher in California. Um, Hi, Mrs. Orr. I don't know. I haven't reached out to you in many years. But uh, I had a beautiful, wonderful teacher who taught me so much. And just not just about the piano, but about music, right? And I had a deep catalog of classical songs, like 
be heck. I, I, the first song we even tried was good old Fur Elise, you know, Beethoven. And it just got me hooked. And um, one of the things she'd always say is that she'd call it God's music. Like whenever she talked about the, the written, printed music, like uh, if there was a Bach uh, invention that I needed to work on, say, for our lesson plan, you know, I would be the type of kid that I like the melody and then I want to play around the melody, so I'll, I'll, I'll add an embellishment, right? I'll either play it in a different key or I'll play a higher note instead that I know is in the same chord structure, let's say. Um, and, I, you know, I remember I actually would get in trouble in these lessons. She would, like, wouldn't smack my hands or anything, but, like, verbally smack my hands. Like, what are you doing? Like, don't mess with God's music is what she would say. And, and we had sort of a, an, ag an agreement here uh, uh, because I would do it so much that it was okay to embellish, but I had to make sure that I practiced the song as it was written so that I could understand the song and sort of download it in the memory bank with get my fingers playing it the way that the composer meant. And then, you know, when I'm performing or when I'm, um, if I was writing my own music, let's say, I can always draw from that and embellish it. But um, she, you know, she really wanted me to respect the artist's creation, at least as a foundation. Like, as I got better and as time has gone on, I can now, I can now embellish and I can now, but like, it kind of, like you said, how... You know, you just you hear a tune over and over again. You start to learn it, and then and then once it's in your head, it's like all of a sudden it can come out of your fingertips, and you sort of know it. It's at that point that you can start doing the embellishments, and you can start maybe making it something different, or you know, like you said, sharing right, like sampling some artist's work, but making it different in your own way is part of that process. Like it's there's a foundational step of like understanding some basics of music and understanding some some basics of, a, say, a particular song, but then you can kind of keep going with it and there's a progression there, you know? Well, it's interesting that... Uh, I can't hear you, sorry. They, they, oh, they interviewed George Harrison and he goes, you know, they're asking him about writing hit songs or something. He goes, uh -huh. you, he goes, there's really just a universal, I don't know if you call it vibration or grooves or a couple huh. of them, where, you know, if you, if you, he goes, if you tap into that, you know you have a hit song. And so... What's interesting is like if you listen to that "All You Need Is Love" at the end, mm. when the, uh, they superimpose in the mood over the end of that song, and then they sing the "She Loves You" over the end of the song, mm -hmm. and so all these songs could be done over that the same one. What was interesting is there was um, I don't know it was an awards show, and they had Pharrell, and then who's that kind of um, guitarist? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. him and, and, and a couple other people and they started doing one of Pharrell's hits and then they started playing other funk hits from from 70s and a couple other ones right over the same progression yeah but and they just fit and and then you suddenly kind of realize you know what George Harris was getting at is sometimes it's just things fit into a certain groove and that groove just resonates with people's yeah, or like Soul. pop songs so do there's it. There's a lot of frequency related uh, things that, huh. that, that happen. I think certain frequencies will resonate with with people. Um, I don't know. That sounds kind of Tesla. No, but no, Tesla like. <laughs> but it's so true because think of. I mean, there was a video that made the rounds. I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but it was like uh, 40 of the the top pop songs of all time played in three minutes because it's like the same chord progression, and this guy on the piano keeps going. He goes around from like the Lion King, Hakuna Matata, 
to like a pop song, uh, and it's like they all are in, all these famous songs are all in the same maybe different key, let's say, but it's the same progression of chords. Um, it, it is that, and that's a, it's really when you talk about being universal, we've got to stop and think about that. Like that's a human gift that, that as a human being, there are certain melodies and rhythms and things that like we're gifted with that we can tap into if we so choose. And this is why, like I say, everyone is a musician because even if you're not an instrumentalist, anybody can tap or hum or whatever, like, and you don't have to be really good at it to, to be a musician. Like the second you start making sound in a rhythmic way, or you make a melody and just a hum, you are, you meet, you're a musician right in that moment, you know? Um, and that's just how I look at it. So you talk about like the different frequencies and wavelengths. And you're like, Oh, you know, I, but like, yeah, I guess there's a little new agey sort of sound to, to it, right? Tesla, right? We talk about like wireless frequencies, but really, I mean, think about wireless technology. Is it not the same thing? Like, are these not vibrations that are moving at a certain frequency in the air that are traveling, right? Either through radio or through the cell phone tower or your Bluetooth wireless ear. It's all the same. For, it's all the same pattern, just reproduced over and over again, you know? Yeah, because the, the mind works in a certain frequency range. and Yeah. And, you know, like the radio mind has, is transmitted over a lot of those same frequencies. You just blew my mind when I think, like, the mind has pitch, does it not? Because of that frequency range. Like, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's, like, multiple ranges depending on, on what state you're in, like, close to sleep or yeah. wide awake. Wow. Or it, it, you'll have certain frequencies. You know. Well, then think about all the sleep studies and stuff that goes on as they're doing these MRIs while people sleep and how the different areas of your brain light up. And and I'm sure that, that the different frequencies, like low... Because uh, isn't there a different type of frequency for REM sleep versus deep dream sleep or whatever? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's a different pattern that gets pulsed through your brain. Kind of like there's a frequency for every state of consciousness. Wow. Man, you guys... So Did you teach him everything he knows, Rick? Or is that where, you know, why are you both so wise with this? I love this analogy, though. It's so cool. So, yeah, I started <laughs> looking at that with, with hymns because, like I said, they borrowed the same tunes right. and adapted them. And I wonder if those certain tunes somehow, you know, spiritually fit into frequencies that made people feel a certain way. And yeah. so those melodies are still... Well, that has to be true. You know why? Because okay, you know we all you know we, we have a certain dom denomination that we we um, uh, you know Ryan and I grew up in Ryan and I don't know if you grew up in the same church but I but you obviously you and Ryan go to the same church so like we have a lens right but I've been to lots of other Christian services and I like actually going to other Christian churches because I enjoy understanding worship service from their perspective because it's so different than mine and isn't it funny how like. If you go, and a lot of other Christian churches sing many, many of the same hymns that other ones do. Like, I Stand All Amazed is a real popular well, yeah. hymn, let's say. And Isn't it funny how you get the same feeling? It doesn't matter what church you go into. You sing that song, you're going to feel that feeling. It doesn't matter who you're singing it with. It doesn't matter where you go and sing it. Like, it, that feeling is part, it's imprinted in the pattern. It might be, too, the, the message that comes through. And the frequency. Yeah. Because I think music sends you some type of message. If it's creating an emotion, there's some type of of message being sent through it. There's yeah. some type of energy, whether it's negative or positive. Huh. And I feel like maybe the hymns, they send, you know, that frequency that makes you feel. Sorry. 
positive, happy. Did you have another one that you wanted to play? Another hymn? Yeah. I Sure, yeah. Do you have another hymn that you've... Yeah, let me see if this thing was out of, slightly out of tune. Well, we, we can talk while you're tuning and then listen when you're ready. Yeah, when you, when you start thinking about, you know, music and how powerful it is uh, in generating emotion, um, there's definitely something more there than maybe we understand, you know? Yeah, and it's a, it's been a lifelong journey and a lifelong passion to understand, and I'm still not there, man. Like I, you know, what I'm saying, and, and someone who studied it his entire life isn't necessarily going to understand it. You know, it's it's part of the mystery of, of existing. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You ready? Oh no! All right. <laughs> but yeah, there the music. That's why it's so special. Like we talked about, it transcends. Yeah, it really does. Culture, language. Yeah, I know when Kingfish plays, it transcends to me, man. Like, I, I don't know. He gets me in a way, dude. Every time I hear that kid play, I get, I get like, possessed with a certain spirit, dude. That I can't look away. Like, I, he is... There, there's the feel with that man, the way he plays, that... Huh. Well, it's like you talked about uh, the, the song that you played earlier. Yeah. Some people have the gift to be able to express emotion through their playing. I see. You know, it, so it's you're feeling the emotion that they're feeling in a way. Yeah. Because they're expressing it. Some people are... Well, I know that's what made Hendrix so, Hendrix so great, you know? He played with feeling. Yeah. All the greats do and did. And so it doesn't feel contrived, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not Guitar Olympics. Like, we talked about... <laughs> You know, we talked about removing all the obstacles. Guitar Olympics. Yeah, we talked That's about removing all the obstacles to creativity and really making music. If you're just trying to impress people or play fast or, you know, get force a certain <laughs> lick in there, it's just not going to come I'm off still, the same. I'm still uh, on Guitar Olympics because it's just such... The 80s were the Guitar Olympics. It really was, man. How fast can you play? <laughs> Got it in tune, or are you still? Go ahead. All right, I'll be quiet.
I love that. Thank you so much for playing it. It is kind of interesting, though, how strings have a different feel as opposed to keys. Not that necessarily one is better than the other, but there's a definite... You can feel a difference in that. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's... Funny how you can touch the, the same note, right, on a guitar string or a piano string, and because of the way it's articulated, it can have a different impact... Same note, right? Same song, even. And isn't it isn't it cool sometimes when you like you hear a famous song? Maybe the famous song was super loud and with the band and distortion and upbeat, and then someone covers it and they cover it, say, on a piano and they sing. And it's like the same song, same notes, right? But completely different meaning and feel based on how it's articulated. It it makes me think of the word, like of the written word, the spoken word. And how the language is the same exact. Language is music and vice versa. It's the same thing. Music is language. And how you articulate words, where you put words in a sentence, what you say first, uh, intonation, how you say it, you're standing up, you're sitting down, all these different variables, just like an instrument. You know, a lot of people think they're not musicians, but they can talk really good. And, and you know what? That that's your, your voice and you speaking words is, is a form of music. It really is. You know, it has a structure to it. You know, language has grammar. This is the same thing as musical structure. It's identical. It's the same thing. Well, I, I really feel like everything's connected to an emotion. You know, like there's yeah. some people, when you when they speak, you feel a certain way. Hmm. You know, because it, everything is associated with the emotion it generates. That's so true. I mean, when you think about it. Yeah. Every Every type of media. It's all about the emotion that it generates. That's why people like it or dislike well, it. Or they hijack your emotions and get you hooked on crap. Right, like, yeah. come on. Exactly. We see you app developers. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is just going back to um, writing hit songs. All right, yeah. We know um, something about that, don't we? <laughs> there was a... I, I wish I remembered this guy's name, but he's basically like... They asked him how he's so good at writing hits, and he's like, I just stick to the dots. He's like, oh, yeah. I just play on the dots and it comes out right every time. <laughs> the guitar has a mark down easy for yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. the power chords on the dots, man. Yeah. That's all really you got to do. <laughs> works well. But then you, then I started thinking about it and a lot of the, a lot of hit songs, they're on the dots. They really are on the dots. <laughs> yeah. Like you could take a, just an educated guess and you're like, oh, I think it's right here. And like, what? Lo and behold. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Seventh fret? Fifth fret? Oh, what do you know? What a surprise. It's in that key again. It's on the dots. <laughs> or it's an open string with dots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just stick to the dots, man. Just stick to the dots. It's easier. I think we stuck to the dots on Inside the Sound. Oh, we really did, yeah. I think so. Can't remember if that starts on the fifth fret or the seventh fret, but it's absolutely an on the dot song. <laughs> yeah, that's how it's made. I just thought that was so funny. No, that really is. <laughs> like, that's funny. Just stick to the dots. It works. That's how it works. Why, why overcomplicate things, right? You don't need to. Do you think there's some of that sometimes in music, like trying to overcomplicate it can inhibit? I mean, I don't want to get... I don't want to, like... I like complex, complicated stuff, so I don't want to, like, seem a little critical. No, but, but I mean... <laughs> No, yeah. Complexity just for complexity's sake, not because there that's just go. the way the music came out. There you go. I forget who the famous producer was, but he's, he said most most hit songs can be boiled down to four chords. 
or maybe if they're more complex, like an Elton John song, they would be six chords. But, <laughs> but you know, he he Elton's said, great. you know, musically you could, you know, distill them down to a handful. Um, well, actually, it's funny how you talk about that. If they distill down, I I think of it a lot of times in the reverse because I'm fascinated by what the layer underneath a particular melody could be. Like, uh, I, I'll use the example of, say, Bach, because Bach inventions, any piano player is, you know, if they're classically trained like me, they're going to go through those repetitions, and they're going to go through, it's like, how many times can a composer take the same basic idea and then manipulate it and, and embellish it and make it the same but different? And it turns out about infinite number of times. Because, like, there's, always, there's, there's an infinite symphony under every phrase and every note. Like, every note, if I hit one note on the piano, that note resonates infinitely in both directions, lower and higher, at an octave frequency. And just because I can't hear it with my own ears doesn't mean that that low-end frequency or that high-end frequency of the same note, let's say we're talking about the middle C. So you see as the example. So middle C is roughly middle in... If you look at a piano, it's like a, one of the keys that are sort of toward the middle of that 88 keys. And then every every eight white notes above, like, you know, every octave, right? You can you can pick it out, peck it out on the piano. And the piano ends, right, at a certain note of C5 or whatever, whatever C7. I forget what they name it, but, like, there's an end to the piano. But it doesn't mean that's an end to, say, human hearing or an end to even in what we can't hear. Cats can hear things we can't hear or, like, birds can hear things that we can't hear. Like, different animals ha can hear different frequencies, right? So that resonance, um, that's why when you slow down the sound of different rodents, the sound of different birds, like, you, they, they, you can start hearing pitch. But when you hear them, like, if without a recorded uh, recording of these little rodents chirping or whatever, talking to each other, you wouldn't understand that it's a certain pitch because of how high the frequency is because you can't really hear it with your own human ears. So I, I'm on this tangent. I don't know why. What the, that was basically the point I wanted to make. But I, <laughs> no, I just find, find it interesting that the same note has an infinite number of possibilities and intonations and overtones, an octave above and an octave above that and an octave above that, that just they exist within that note. You just can't hear it with your human ears all the time. Sometimes you well, need other things to bring it out. Well, think about, think about E the key of E in rock, like how many times, or E minor, how many times has that been used? Oh, yeah. And how many solos have been played over that? And, and to be able to use the same minor pentatonic scale, which is used quite often, and come up with a different, you know? How many more examples of awesome bands do we need to hear? Well, I was just like kind of investigating Hailstrom. I think it's how you say the name of the band. Izzy Hale, I think is her name, right? The singer. Oh, okay. Um, and she popped up on a... She did some kind of collaboration with um, a bunch of famous musicians for that... What's uh, Come Together? Oh, the Beatles, right? yeah. Yeah, Beatles, yeah. Uh, so a bunch of uh, hip, awesome... Slash, you know, premier, Slash had a little spot, like a bunch of cool musicians, right? Um, and so I was, I was kind of like digging her voice. And I knew about Hailstrom, just not... Didn't really dive into their music. So we, we pulled up a few of their songs on on YouTube and, and they're not exactly like they're pretty I don't wanna call I don't wanna make it sound like I'm not I don't wanna be critical, but it's like it's it was a certain formula. Does that make sense? Like a rock formula? And it's like it's I've heard it all before. But why is it that 
So here's the compliment part. Like I'm trying to explain, why is it that even though it, similar structure, sim the way these songs are put together, like if anyone that's written songs knows, okay, first verse, second, first verse, first chorus, second verse, second chorus, then there's usually a bridge, maybe there's a third verse and then a third chorus, but not always. So like same kind of structure, right? But with her voice and with the way these these musicians played the the instruments, it was something completely new. And I really dug it. Like I I dig her voice a lot. She's a great vocalist, but I I dig the emotion. I dig like the aesthetic of what they're doing. I really enjoyed watching those videos. I really enjoyed the guitar work. I you know, Ryan always complains when there's not lead guitar solos. He's like, There's no solo. I just want to hear a solo. Is oh that my gosh, so bad? you're such a you're that so complainer, bad? man. But like could Rhythm guitar is is valuable, Ryan, and I really need to teach I'm you that. I'm not about saying it. that it's not. It's just but you, you don't need a solo in every song, brother. You just don't. You don't need. Why a solo. not? Why not? Because because there's other things. That, the voice is the solo. The you know the the way that the song is orchestrated is the solo. Come on, Ryan. Well, a lot of the music <laughs> that I chose to listen to, you knew the solo was coming. Yes. And that you look I'm forward right. to that. You so, look forward to that. That makes sense. Or sometimes just an instrumental. Reiteration of the melody, yeah, can be a solo. If you listen to a lot of hits songs, it'll be in it. Thank know, you, Rick. A, a horn player or something. Thank you, Ryan's will, dad, will for backing me up. But okay. there's a solo. There's a solo instrument playing that yeah. melody. Yeah, Michael. It's like it's like to build a climax, or it's to um, mm -hmm. to give you some variation. Mm -hmm. From from the you can have the same melody, the same notes, but done with an instrument rather than a voice, and then it be you know to your mind it becomes uh, something new and exciting. I will I will concede the point because Ryan, because I'm always about, right, and no, it just takes you a while to realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, someplace, I just imagine Ryan's mom cackling every time he sasses me. <laughs> Um, she doesn't want to. She, does, she won't listen to this all the way through. Whatever. She can't she's got to listen long. to it. I'm on it, so like, of course she's gonna want to listen she to it. She can't handle me for that long. But I'm here to, to temper you, sir. I'm good for her in small doses. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm sure my dad feels the same way. Um, but like, <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying anymore. I'm too, I'm too uh, distracted on the image. Well, how about this? My dad brought up uh, a horn player. Oh, okay. And, well, isn't it interesting that you could you could have a backing track? And then bring in a trumpet player, bring in a guitar player, bring in a piano player, mm -hmm. bring in a cello player, and they're all going to have a different take on the way they play lead. You know what I mean? Or a saxophone player. It's like... Yeah, I mean... And really, that's kind of yeah. interesting, right? I've never really considered it exactly in that way, but you're so right. I mean, think about how it can be... Same notes, right? But again, how it's articulated. If you played a saxophone solo... What a completely different vibe a song is going to have versus a cello solo. Or well, like a, when you played wow. your trombone solo yeah, in that song, it just created a completely different... You couldn't generate that with the guitar. I mean. No. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great point. But then different horns, um, different wind instruments or, or brass probably has their own... Um, their own kind of licks or their no, own. No, it's very they're, true. They're melodic phrases that are easier to play because of the construct, you know, the just the mechanics of the instrument. So I, that's a good listening point. to a trumpet player's, you know, favorite 
um, motives compared to a guitar player's favorite motives, and then you get your you know your mind instantly picks up on that. I think. Well, you know that's got me thinking about. So the trombone, a lot of people don't know there's such a thing as a valve trombone. And a, it, it's more popular in marching bands because when you're playing the trombone, because the slide moves out so far, I mean, I've got long arms and I'm a very big, tall guy, but, you know, the poor, you know, say, chicks in, my, in the trombone class that had short arms, like, it's hard to hit that seventh position. You have seven positions on that on that slide. So there's a trombone that's really good for uh, for marching, and it's, it looks like a trombone, except, in, and it's got a slide, but in the middle of the slide, you hold it where it's got three valves like a trumpet does. And it, you play it like a trumpet. And I, the moment I knew that this thing existed, it's like, wait, 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 slow down. You're telling me that this whole time there's been an <laughs> instrument that makes roughly the same sound that I could just use my fingers to play instead of having to move my arm. Do you know how hard it is to march and play trombone? Look, all the other instruments are really hard, but the trombone physically requires so much move. I literally hurt Worse my back. Worse than the tuba? Worse than the tube. Well, the tube is heavy. Come on, the tube has got to be the it's hardest. A, it's a sousaphone when you're marching. But, like, I injured my back because of how I was twisting my body and reaching out real far with my arm because that's just how you play the trombone. But there's a valve What a trombone. coincidence that, you know, the hardest instrument and roughest one to power through is the one you played. That's, that's how I roll, bro. Is that coincidental? or? I don't want to say the trombone players are the coolest members of the You know, I, I, I will. But, I mean, the, the percussion section, they think they're cool, but I mean. I will offer you this. I don't know. You get you remember your plunger the, and do Charlie Brown voices. <laughs> <laughs> remember yeah. the ska like, era, wah, 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 Michael? Yeah, exactly. Remember the ska era, Michael? The what? The ska era. Oh, yeah. And you had your little horn section. Oh, yeah. I, the trombone player was always the most fun to watch because he yeah. was really working that thing. Because it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. But what I was going to say, bringing this up with the valve trombone, is even though it's the same range, right? It's literally because it's the way that the, the, the brass and the, the way the metal is made, like in the, the way that these pipes are designed... It's the same length of, same amount, roughly the amount of. So you're talking feet about space. marching band? Are you trying to put us all no. to sleep? No, come you on, man, this, follow me here. To go I know to you're trying to be later. funny, but I want to make my point here. Don't interrupt me. Um, the it's the same the amount of like the length of the amount of distance that your air has to go through that horn is the same amount of distance that would go in a regular trombone, but it's a, still a different intonation. Like it's. Even though it's the identical instrument, because it's played differently with your fingers, it, it, it is a different. Like I can, I know this is sound maybe way too nerdy, but I can tell the difference between a valve trombone and a regular trombone being played. Like I can, with my ear, very quickly identify that instrument. How is that nerdy? That's just having a good <laughs> musical ear. So I mean. can you play notes quickly like a trumpet? Yeah. So like you get, imagine having like a baritone trumpet, and that's kind of more of what it sounds like. It it doesn't sound like a trombone exactly. Same register, same notes, but the trombone has a human quality to it because of like it you you Sliding. slide and bend just like with our with our vocal cords. That's how we are. We can go like that is a trombone, right? It's what you're doing is you're opening and closing your windpipe, and that's exactly what the trombone is doing. The further out I push my arm, the longer the instrument becomes the further the air has to travel through the horn and it lowers the pitch. And then when you pull the slide up, it goes because you're closing that circuit some and you're, now your air doesn't have to go as far and it's a higher pitch. But your, your vocal cords do the same thing. 
So I can tell, I can hear the difference between a valve trombone or, say, a euphonium, uh, which is similar to a valve trombone, same register, right, but just shaped differently. Um, and a trombone, it's, it's, to me, it's clear as day, whereas someone who has no experience with brass instruments, they, they probably couldn't tell the difference, you know? There's just so much complexity. That, like, I, I never quite understood when it came to the brass section, like, how you accentuate notes. It's all with your embouchure, your tongue, your lips, and your tongue. Really? Yeah, like, like how you, where you place your, just like, you know how when you use language, and like in Spanish, you might place your tongue at the top of your mouth for a certain syllable right that you now. wouldn't use in English, right? It's the same thing with brass instruments. It's, you know, where, where your tongue is placed and, and how uh, the type of, like however you're, you're pushing that air and using your tongue to create the, the rhythm. So it takes years to get really good at it. That's a whole different uh, world there. Well, yeah, to, for real. To, to get right on the note, that's probably extremely, a lot more difficult than we probably realize it is. This is why a lot of people give up uh, early on in the process. Because if you hear a professional trombone player play the trombone, someone that has experience and can articulate sound the way it's really supposed to sound there, it, it, it kind of almost sounds like, I don't want to say it sounds like an angel, but it sounds like a little... I can't describe it. Like it's heavenly. Like the way a way a professional. I've heard, I've heard like, um, high end, you know, philharmonic type of trombone first chair players like play concerts and stuff. Like you know, it was very fortunate uh, in Lubbock, uh, where I went to high school for one. Like there's a lot of great trombone and brass like at Texas Tech, and and we had there's people that came and and I got to see some concert and. Um, Anyway, so like you hear you hear someone who really can play the trombone, let's say, the the sound quality of that is going to sound amazing, okay? But when you're, I don't know how old I was when I started, twelve or whatever, and you try to make that sound, a lot of times you can't even make the thing make the sound it's supposed to make at all, and you're like, I'm supposed to learn this? So a lot of people give up. It's not like a piano where on a piano you can be. You don't have to have any experience. Anyone with no experience can walk up to a piano, take one finger, and hit one key, and that key sounds the way it's supposed to always sound. Like it, it's a lot less complex to get started that way. But um, both instruments require patience to get to a level where you're going to make beautiful sounds out of it. Like you've got to basically stink at it for a long time. And a long time... It's going to feel like a long time when it's six months. But if you put a solid six months into, say, a brass instrument and it doesn't sound good, we'll just add another six months. Like maybe you're not on the short end of that curve. Maybe you're a bit on the longer end of the curve. But it really doesn't take all that much time to be able to start making good sounding music with any instrument as long as you just apply yourself and keep I, going. I think there's probably a lot of great, uh, I'll just use this as an example, a lot of great guitar players that we'll never hear because they gave up in that initial phase when Same, the strings yeah. are buzzing and your fingers hurt and you can't you want it to sound exactly like it does on your favorite song and it just doesn't so they think oh well i can't do this then when they when they don't realize it's a process that you have to power through that so do you know how i got over that hump on the piano anyway because i went through that you know as a any classically trained pianist will probably self-identify with me when i talk about this but like 
your fingers will fall off. You do these repetitions. And, you know, you talked about how, like, the level you have to be at to play. Like, I know every key on the keyboard intimately. Like, I, I can play major and minor and all the chords backwards and forth in my sleep. I did so many repetitions. It, it, I may not be perfect at it right now if I were to perform in live. But in terms of, like, the muscle memory, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't even need to go check a reference chart anymore to know what to play because I had so many mindless repetitions of that like beat into my brain that it's just part of who I am. Like I think in the terms of a piano, like my brain operates somehow on some level there. I had a point with this, but, <laughs> but, but I, my point was, my point was like, I had a great point I was coming to and I lost it. Well, why don't you, when you pick it up, why don't you, uh, marinate on that? I'll marinate on it. Dad, when, when you it. first started the guitar, was it, what, was it rough or did you feel like you picked it up pretty quick? It's kind of both. <laughs> Some things came mm. easy and other things came harder. And, you know, that, that's that's probably your challenge. I mean, moving from position to, you know, up and down the neck was was kind of slower than doing things in the same position. I see. Kind of thing. That's That was the challenge I had. And, you know, you think about... Um, Things you don't, you take for granted after you've been playing a long time by you know automatically having some kind of vibrato and and being able to you know control the dyna dynamic or be able to to mm. to emphasize certain notes you know you know when you first try to do that um, you know especially with any kind of finger style steel string or classical you know you want you know to emphasize the melody so it comes out mm -hmm. uh, that takes a little bit of finesse and so you hear people you know playing s some uh you know the the chordal things in the background and the, but you can hear the melody over the top of it i see i mean that's it's not done easily right no. and so th it's that's one of those things that uh just comes with time i guess and a lot of things that maybe people that have been playing a long time take for granted and you know someone just starting is like how do they do that <laughs> You know. For sure. I mean, that's the countless hours that you do. And, and like at the piano, just it took me it took me a lot of years to get to the point where I could play in any key. But like once I had that foundation, um, like I said, once it's in muscle memory, then the real fun begins. And all along the way, you 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 can take whatever you're learning and embellish. Oh, no, I know. I remember now what I was going to say. So thank you for letting me marinate. <laughs> so I talked about how piano players can relate to all these repetitions. That, like you learn the scales and things. But um, it's also important. Like when you get frustrated with all those repetitions and you get frustrated with the, the, the – say you're classically trained on the piano like I was and you're getting sick of Furry Lease or Moonlight Sonata. You're like, oh my gosh, how many times do I have to play da 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 before I get it right? And the song gets complicated, so I just start at the beginning where it's easy <laughs> every time and, and then just trail off when it starts getting super complex. But, like, sometimes it's okay to just make sound on your instrument. Don't play a chord. Don't play a, a song you're supposed to practice from your music teacher or from your band or from orchestra. Like, just take your bow on the string, you know, or take your lips to the embouchure, whatever you're playing or doing, and just let me make a sound, whatever it is, and then play around with that sound a bit. Like, 
actually play. Like, you know what play is, right, guys? We all play video games. We all do, like, like play. Like, have fun experiencing the instrument. And just, I sort of get into, I've trained myself after so many years, is I can do that not just, you know, I can do that split second. I can get into a zone where I'm now inventing new music uh, just that way as I'm playing. What I'm doing is I've, I've ramped up that process over 30 years, how long I've been doing this, where like on the piano, for example, I, I can stand in front of the piano, you can play any beat, and then I can, I can make music to any beat you could give me at any speed because I've spent untold terrible number of hours like just doing just that playing, not playing God's music, Beethoven or, or, or whoever, it was Chopin, or if it was Mozart I was trying to conquer, whoever I was trying to conquer, whatever, whatever crazy hard piece of music I was trying to get done, Sometimes it was overwhelming and I would get discouraged. So I'd say, you know what? I'm going to make my own. Maybe I go pop on Counting Crows along December and see if I can play along to that thing. Way simpler, right? Um, and, and so just being able to like use your use, – use a fun sort of creativity, like a, a child's mind, right, to approach your instrument and say, well, what kind of fun sound can I make with this instrument? Like, think of the kazoo. Does anyone really have a bad time playing the kazoo? It's fun. You know? Well, that's what makes you think about the whole formal music education process. Mm, yeah. So, so many people have to take lessons when they're younger, and, and then it just turns them off to in, uh, instruments huh. you know, forever. Sometimes it's like, uh, I think, um, you know, you, you want to learn pedagogy, and you want to learn technique and you right. know the mechanics right and those are just ways of teaching the mechanics but i think sometimes people want to play instruments there needs they to be balance because they want to have fun or they want to hear themselves play their favorite tune mm. somehow or something they want to hear something they can relate to yeah and so you know to me like sometimes the, i think well, this is the success of like the Suzuki method where they make little kids just play melodies. Yeah. Until they get to a, a certain point where they have enough technique where then, then they start teaching them. Well, the, the Suzuki method is very good. I mean, this is why it's still around because it, it yeah, exactly. Because I think with, with younger children, if, if you can play things they can relate to, then it's a lot easier to... In fact, I think sometimes I think with anybody, if if you get to start hearing something you like, you you'll be willing to work harder on something that's, you know, technically really difficult because you want to hear yourself play that cool thing, and and so you know there's there's a lot to be said for, you know maybe education should be built you know for music should be built around um, things that are. Um, Rewarding. Can I broaden that? So it doesn't that? seem like a well, punishment. Can I broaden I that? I, I mentioned think that, remember? I think, I, I think you did. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's just music that should be. The, I think all education should be that way. Because isn't that how we all really learn something? Like, when we get obsessed with something, whatever it is, if it's a comic book, if it's a movie, like, it's because we, like, there's an emotional connection. And it's like you start with that emotional connection and there there, there develops into your your hobbies and your likes and your passions. But, like, music learning, anything that you're learning you know, if you lead forward with what gets you excited, that's the place you head, you know? That's, Go ahead, Ryan. I, Sorry. <laughs> I think I've talked about it before, but I wasn't the type of person that was afraid to jump into the deep end of the pool right away. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think I said I was impatient, and I don't even know yeah. if it's impatient, but it's like after you hear, you know, eruption <laughs> or 
you hear Joe Satriani play, you're like, I can't play Mary Had a Little Lamb anymore. <laughs> like, I, I would rather sit here and, you know, for hours and, and try to uh, get myself to play Eruption than sit there and play a Claire de la Lune, the single note version. And it's just... You were learning Eruption on the guitar. I was learning, like, the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Way different mindset for exactly, guitar. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Unless you play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star like Eddie Van Halen would with tapping it. Well, you know, there's something to be said about that, too. And and I know guitarists that know how to do that. Like, Eddie Van Halen could do that, I'm sure, right? And um, Tommy Emmanuel's really good at Tommy that. Tommy Emmanuel's so he could he could make Mary had a little lamb awesome. I would watch that man play guitar all day. Like if I if if I just had all the time in the world and I didn't have the business to do, I could just go ahead and just plug in Tommy on YouTube and just sit in front and like crack open a soda here and just kick back and just all day listen to that man play. Like he's so talented. I, the... Well, we talked about that's that's what dedicating your life to an instrument sounds like yeah you did say that and it's so true like we talk about how that's a dude that decided super early on that he wasn't giving up i think he, <laughs> i think he started playing at like nine years old and he just wow went went all the way through with it never never yeah, stopped that's incredible well that's what we've been doing i mean you've been playing since a young age and even though you had corporate jobs and things and me too. Like you never really gave it up, Ryan. Like you kept it up. I know you didn't practice every day. Yeah, I didn't but either, if but. I was if I was seriously practicing, I don't even know what the difference in my playing would but be. But this is a difference in perspective, and this is again maybe Michael's philosophies. I won't claim this is true, but I think even like musicians like us that put their instruments down. And I put my instruments down for many years. I was unable to play my instruments for a lot of years. I think most musicians. At some have point. to go through it, right? But you never stop. But that doesn't mean you're not practicing. Just because you're not touching your instrument, it doesn't mean you're not practicing. Because half of what you do as a musician is listen. So while you're not touching your instrument, you're practicing listening. And especially if you've gotten to a point where you're either a professional musician or you're a competent mu Like, think about all the people who went to band and choir and stuff. They went up through whatever, 12th grade, you know, high school and then didn't go to college or say, you know, like me, or like they, maybe they went to college but just didn't have the time for that. They were focusing on other things, so they weren't doing the music part of it, right? Well, any musician that's trained like that, when they go and listen to popular music, when they go and listen to, to whatever music they're into, they're, you know, they're still connecting with that music on the level of a competent musician even if they're not picking up their instrument and playing it and then when you do pick up your instrument and play it lo and behold are you a little rusty maybe but you've actually added something not taking it away even though you're maybe your because mu your muscle memory will come back if you if you did like you know i told you how many countless again piano players around the world unite like <laughs> like the the amount of times that i played the g major and minor and then the corresponding like I okay love g major G major and then the corresponding like B flat minor and the, you know what I'm saying like having to move around with chord structures the the you know the inverse chord over here and then you you go up to the next octave and you try it and dun 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 dun, dun. like every chord has a has a certain progression uh, and in different keys they sound different but the the fingerings are the same so like how many times does that get burned in my brain before it's just second nature and am I a little rusty maybe 
But if you gave me a solid month of like, say I didn't have to do the podcast or anything and I had like no one to talk to and I was just completely alone and I could just spend one month in the woods with the piano, there is no way that with that much time, I couldn't get right back to where I was at 16 because of how many years I did. I mean, I was doing five to eight hours a day. Five to eight hours on a Saturday, four hours on a weeknight. Like I would not give up. Like I, I got... I can't tell you the number of times I got yelled at to be quiet and keep it down because I just couldn't stop playing. That's all I could do. Well, you think about people that, that are successful, like, you know, maybe there's so many rock artists that, you know, they hit it off big and then the only time they ever play is when they're getting ready to go on tour again. Yep. And they'll pick it up. And then you got, you know, guys like Tommy Emanuel, you figure, you know, they had to put some serious time on <laughs> yeah. a continual basis to get to that point. And, you know, he does a lot more than people realize. I've seen him jam with people and then here he's playing swing jazz solos with it's incredible. Some, some jazz guy, right? And I bet a lot of people didn't even realize he could go there. And so yeah. you know he had to have spent some serious time. Or be a lot the G three, like he was on stage with Joe Satriani playing an electric guitar. Yeah, but why does that not surprise me? So it's just that doesn't surprise me at all because of how diverse Joe is. Because Joe's something else. I mean Joe's just buried within Joe's own catalog is the most, like, such a diverse array of genres and music. I mean, it's all rock, but, like, huh. But that's cool, man. Like, you know, like you're saying, Rick, too, like, how many people wouldn't appreciate or understand, like, Tommy's depth, But you but know? You, but you think about it, huh. um, you know, people work 40 hours a week, and these other people, you know, they have success, and they don't take advantage of the fact they could, if they put 40 hours a week into whatever, even if they don't like their instrument anymore, what if they did music production or songwriting? Or right, yeah. You know, if they put 40 hours a, a week of serious effort into, you know, getting better, that they could master two or three styles, or maybe they might become mm. something they never imagined. I don't know. My advice like to people is to, right? well, my advice, if you're bored and you want an instrument that's a great professional instrument, but you don't want to invest a lot of money and time and you don't want to carry around, lug around a guitar, the harmonica is one of the best instruments to just fool around on because you, like, I, you can buy a professional harmonica for like 40 bucks, a professional one. Like with high quality materials made in Germany, made in Japan, like some of the best manufacturers, and and I love that about the harmonica. It's just so it's like the most one of the most cost effective ways to buy an instrument and start sounding beautiful. Like it doesn't take that much time to learn to blow through it, and then you just start listening. I mean, I can't tell you how many cool harmonica teachers I found on YouTube. So is it you know you're talking about like a chromatica or just a single? Key? The fact Wonder that you style. even know to ask that question just makes my heart swell with love for you, Rick. Because like, I love talking to musicians. So yes, that's a fabulous question. I'd love to. Let me break. Down. Thank you for asking me about Stevie my harmonica. Wonder. You know, you know, Ryan has not asked me these questions about my harmonica obsession, and I appreciate. Okay, so a chromatic harmonica is like a piano in that. You have a chromatic scale, uh, half steps. Da, da, da. Well, I'm not that's not even half step, but um, you could do it on the guitar if you wanted to. But you get the idea. Like half step is um, is is just the next, yeah, like that. That's a chromatic scale, and the the chromatic harmonica is think of it like a soloing kind of an instrument. And you can solo on other types of harmonicas, but it's it's to me in my mind it's very similar to like a piano because it's it's those. It's laid out of, in a very chronological way almost. I say chronological, but whereas the 
most harmonicas are tuned in a, either a pentatonic scale or like it's not a true chromatic scale and you kind of have to bend the notes with your your air and your breath and your embouchure to if you really wanted to play a scale on it you kind of have to fudge some of those notes with either how hard you're pushing to make the the note sharper or how lightly you're pushing and where you're angling it to make it flatter let's say or you get the same set of notes but like it'll be tuned to G or E or C depending on it's like a chord yeah so like the, so instead of a chromatic harmonica a lot of other harmonicas they're in a particular they're tuned in a, like think of like a guitar C guitar has a tuning and then you could have a second guitar that's tuned to say an open tuning and if you were going to write a song that had those two different tunings you need we, you would need two guitars to play it quickly, right, live. Well, a harmonica, it's sort of the same thing. It's like you have a harmonica in the key of C, and then you'll have a harmonica in the key of F. And if in, in a, say, a three-chord rock song, you might need both of those harmonicas to play the song because you, you just quickly grab and switch them out. So, you know, they, they'll sell, like, little sets of five or sets of seven or sets of 12 or whatever different harmonica. A lot of the, all these companies will sell, like, box set. But for me... I just wanted to try something different, so I went and picked a, a minor tuned harmonica. I bought a C minor <laughs> tuned harmonica because I could. Um, C minor. Huh? C minor, and I'm gonna buy more. Like there's a there's a particular Honer makes a, a chromatic harmonica that I'm really interested in. Uh, I think it's the CS or CX12. That's what it's called. They make a jazz one, and they make one that's more rock oriented. Um, I'll probably buy the one that's a little more rock oriented, but like the. It, that's a chromatic harmonica. So what kind does, does like Stevie Wonder play more of the jazz kind? Or the See, yeah, the, the jazz one, the, the j jazz and what you might hear Stevie play is, is I hear a lot of chromatic harmonica stuff and it's the one with the button. Yeah, he has the little, like yeah, that thing where you you see the guy playing the harmonica and he's always tapping something on the side. That's a chromatic harmonica because you're, you're that's like how you get the thing to go sharp. So there's 10 holes or not 10 holes, there could be more, 16, I forget how many holes on it, but like, Every time you tap that button, it moves it up half a step. So that's how you move up half a step, and then you release the button, and then you go up the next half step that way and the next hole. So that's how it sort of works. And you just sort of get practicing on that and get faster and faster and faster, and then you can play like Stevie. Well, you can play like Stevie eventually, I suppose. Not me. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's the next purchase in terms of the harmonica. I'm going to get a, a chromatic, and then I'm going to round out. I'm going to get all of the different keys of the minor tuned harmonicas, and I'm going to get all of the different keys of the major tuned. Uh, and then what I love about Honer is Honer has got a really good, it's H-O-H-N-E-R for those that care. Um, they have got a really good, diverse, like really eclectic type. Like they've got some that are like a low end range. I can think of like a bass. There's a bass, such a thing as a bass harmonica. So they got that stuff. They got uh, they're sort of geared for different audiences. Some of them are geared more to rock folks. Some of them are geared more to country and western. I was I was actually really kind of blown away. I mean, there's folk music with the harmonica from different parts of like the world. The harmonica was way more diverse than I thought it was when I first started. All all I really knew of the harmonica was like a couple of blues things I heard from some famous people, and like okay, Blues Traveler is about really my experience with it. John John Popper. So, like, to that was cool, like, to sort of open my mind and open up to, like, oh, there's so many different ways that you can use a harmonica. It's, they're incredible. You know, just make sure that you still make time to learn how to play past the 12th fret. Oh, my gosh. I don't want you to. 12th <laughs> fret again. 
I'm not going to le- abandon the guitar for the harmonica. I just like adding new instruments to my arsenal. Why don't you pick up a flute like uh, Finn, you know? I'm going to, eventually. Nightwish. Yes. I think I might start with the, with the piccolo, though. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just a little Dragon Ball Z reference. I'm not sure. But I just... <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I probably want to go back to the clarinet before I go back to the flute. Because you're a giant nerd? Well, I went through... Yeah, I am a nerd. I went through a stage in my life when I thought for sure I was going to be a band director. So I spent time in high school trying to learn every how to play instrument. every instrument. Yeah, in the orchestra. So I, I got to a point where I could make sound at least on any instrument in... Yeah, like that. I was a com- I was very. I felt very accomplished when Sounds I could like say a I could do that. a bunch of hyperbole to me. <laughs> no, I mean, I, can't, I don't think I could do it now. But there was a time when I, I was proficient enough where... Like, for example, on the clarinet, I could play... I'm bringing home a baby bumblebee. Won't my mama be? You know that little tune? I could play that on the clarinet. Yeah. What about the trumpet? I you I know could angels play, play trumpet. Um, I actually could. The problem I had with the trumpet was that the it's tough coming over from like a larger brass instrument from the trombone. You're used to your embouchure a certain diameter, and you have to squeeze your embouchure a lot tighter for the trumpet and push air. A lot. It's a it's a much harder instrument to master. So I got to a point with the, with the I said harmonica. I meant the trumpet. Um, or I don't know what I said, but I got to a point where I could make some sound from the trumpet, but it was terrible. So um, I was I, playing an instrument. I just don't remember which one. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would really see. That's why I just stick with the guitar, you know, because for me it was just about how many new, how many, like what kind of weird new sounds can I make with some instrument I've never even tried before. Like I just love learning new instruments. <laughs> But what's funny about it is it probably sounded cool to you, but someone who actually knew how to play the instrument was probably cringing. Nails on chalkboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't you love that? Huh. I, I just have to, huh. I have to express <laughs> this, really okay? Funny. I have to express <laughs> this. There was a piano player that I knew, okay? Okay. And he looked down very much on the guitar. And, I, and he was like, well, I feel like the piano is a lot harder because I can just pick up an electric guitar and cool sounds come out immediately. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, they might sound cool to you. Okay, dude. But whatever. But whatever. To master the guitar, it, every instrument to get to the master level is is a chore. I don't think there's one instrument that's harder than another to master. I agree with that. You know? because I played so many. I can. I have spent my life learning new instruments. Well, I can you tell play you. piano and guitar. Can you really say that one is harder to master than the other? If you I, say piano, I'm going to punch is, you in the stomach. It is impossible. Well, they're no, they're not. One is not harder than the other. They're harder for different reasons, and and they each have their their drawbacks and they each have their advantages. And it depends. I like having both in my life so that I know. That in any given, like I'm proficient enough, I'm I'm definitely at a at a high level of mastery on the piano, and I am definitely at a professional high level of mastery on the guitar to the point that like they're kind of like my two go-to instruments for sure. And the piano is a good benefit because the pianos and most modern stage keyboards, I can replicate a lot of noises from different instruments just on the piano. Like I can play a flute on the piano or a, or say a viola. And it's going to sound like a real flute or a real viola because someone has already taken painstakingly recorded the sound of a flute, imported into the computer, the brain of the piano. And then because of how good the response is on the keys and the, the, the expressive pedals and things in the expressive knobs, I can really make it sound like when you 
unless you were a master musician or someone who knows these instruments intimately and knows that it's a pre-recorded, you would be be difficult for someone who wasn't experienced to tell the difference. And that's the one of the things I like about the piano is it's so diverse, right? Um, well, you could play a condensed, you know, orchestral score on a piano. Yeah. And you could, you know, if you wanted to, uh, you know, it's probably pretty useful for composing. It is. With, with scoring software and yeah and, and other more than other instruments. That's probably I mean, the, I was, the instrument that well, everything's you could probably do the I was writing symphonies. Too, right? I mean, I, I never actually, um, I never actually wrote them down. But I had I had symphonies that I was working on, and I called them symphonies, and they were intended to be orchestra, full orchestral, and it was the piano was the tool that let me do that. You know, it was only with the piano that I could, without a computer, there's no other way that I could have wrapped my brain around the whole orchestral range without a without a keyboard. No way. But you know, to Ryan's question, like, is one harder to master? Than, no, I mean, it. <laughs> The only reason why I mastered the piano quicker than the guitar was because of all I told you all the I mean the number of hours I've done it kind of boggles my mind. Whereas I've only here at 35 gotten enough hours finally on the guitar where I'm starting to feel like oh yeah I could lead I could do a little soloing. I went back and heard some other old band stuff that I did with the band in I don't know like 2013 or whatever that we um, we never really released or did anything with the music. And I was listening to myself solo, and I'm like, who is this guy? He sounds like Tom Morello almost. Like, I was doing some crazy stuff that, like, I can't believe I pulled that off. And But at the time, I didn't even think about it. I was just playing. And this dawned on me, like, no, no, I've actually been pretty proficient at the guitar for a while. But I, I didn't feel confident enough, like, really just until this experience with Guitar Crime, that I finally was like, okay, I think I, I, think I really am a guitarist. Like, I think I really can hold my own with the best of them. You know, could I, am I going to sound as impressive as Joe Satriani or Tom, you know, Tommy or, or, or any of these guys we've listed off? No. I mean, I, I, at least if I was trying to be them, no. But um, could I feel confident on stage with any one of those people on either the piano? Sure. Yeah, I could do that. I wouldn't feel confident on, say, a drum set. I haven't, I have yet to devote that many hours. But, you know, I know that'll come. I'll get, I, got, I know a couple of really good drummers that teach me. <laughs> so. so you you basically just said right now that you're on the same level as Joe Satriani and Tommy Emanuel. So what? Yeah. So what? Could back them up. <laughs> I could. Like, if they needed a keyboard player, let's say, sure, hire me. I could. Could I tour right now and 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 every night be on and every night be able to play anything they could throw at me on the key. Yeah, dude. I mean, on the guitar, I feel a little bit inadequate for sure. I'm still not, again, haven't devoted enough hours, I think. But I finally reached that professional level. I mean, I guess I was already perfect, but that mastery level where, you know, could I, could I feel confident? Like, could I be rhythm guitar player for Joe? Yeah, I could do that. Sure. That's not hard. It's the soloing part. Uh, the rhythm's hard too, man. Have you looked at the music? <laughs> he yeah. makes it sound easy, but it's I know, extremely hard. But I've hard. been watching him for decades. I mean, I've been, I've, it's not that hard. I mean, but I only say that because I don't want to sound cocky, but like I only say it because I've had I've invested enough time to feel like, especially as a rhythm player, could I handle myself? Yeah. Here's of a question: What? When can you consider yourself a master? at an instrument when can you consider yourself a, at a professional level like, rick you tell me on that one because i don't know like, when, i don't know what like, happen i want to feel like i can consider myself a professional level but i don't even know i don't know where that line is 
don't know, maybe maybe when you you're able to play certain things that you know that other people at a certain level can play. I I don't know. You know, maybe when you first started you said, Well, if I can play eruption just like Eddie Van Halen, you know, if somebody said that to themselves and I see they got to that point. Because I, I remember being at SeaWorld and right before the Shamu show some guy I that remember that came <laughs> up and he I mean he played he played Eruption note for note. What? It sounded pretty good. At SeaWorld? It's probably some studio guy in, in really? living in LA, but yeah. So, you know, um, the one time that the fish were happy at SeaWorld, they were listening to your It was really odd. Like, they had him up on this weird platform, and really? he was just it rocking was, it out. Was good. I, huh. it was, it was, he was right on. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he cool. must have spent a lot of hours working it. But, yeah. But, you know, I guess maybe when you can, to me, I guess when you can move other people, when you can make people feel emotion. Wow. And, and, and I love can, That's a good you, answer. You can move people with your performance. I think you're, you know, I think that's when you consider you know yourself I, a valid, you know, a performer at a professional level. Because if you, if you can play something and huh. and people can, you know, appreciate it and feel uh, moved somehow, then then you've reached a level where you can communicate with other people emotionally. Because that's wow. to me that seems like the, the 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 real thing you'd like to do with music is to be able to communicate with people on a emotional level or a spiritual level it's it's because then it turns into the instrumentalist communicating with the audience in a way that you maybe you can't speaking that's right you know it 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 kind of makes me think of of this what, what i've noticed when when you hear singers when you hear guitar players when you hear a band um this even i guess could apply with actors it's like when you're just listening to the song or watching the performance and you're only thinking about the music and it's it's affecting you like i see you know or if like if you're noticing oh wow that wasn't quite in tune or oh like it sounded like that was mo like you know how you you start thinking about the performance and what they're doing wrong i see like an actor, a really good actor, you're not even thinking about the way he's talking or the way he's doing X, Y, or Z. You're just, uh -huh. he's playing a role. And well, you don't even see him as the actual person who he or she is. Like, for example, give me a name of any famous actor. First one pops to your mind. Uh, Tom Hanks. So with Tom Hanks, you're not seeing Tom Hanks. Like, I see Forrest Gump or I see, you know what I'm saying? Like, sorry, Tom, but it's, you know, that movie's classic. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I see, or I hear, um, you know. The Castaway living on a desert Castaway island. or Woody from the Toy Story, right? Like, I don't, I don't, even though it's still all Tom Hanks and it's all his voice, like, I see a different character because of how devoted, like, how good he is at that. And exactly. I it's the same thing with the musicians. You're right. Like, let's use Floor Jansen as the example, right? Nightwish. I've developed a new appreciation for her. She's on another level. Another man. level. I'm like the the way that I can't even. It's gonna. You're gonna. I'm gonna lose my mind here trying to even say it. Like, as a vocalist myself, and someone who has even attempted to do some of the operatic styles that she can effortlessly do, I, I, I'm stunned into what her capabilities are. Right. So, when Floor Jansen gets up there, as part of Nightwish, I don't see her as the woman. Floor Jansen, who she, she's probably got a right loved ones, a family. She's probably got a whole life that's separate from the music, right? When she's up on stage, I see Nightwish, and I see like I see the head of the band, 
And she's like leading up. Remember, we saw that video where she's like, how many thousands of people in the group? Everyone's just in rhythm, clapping to her. She's leading everybody like she's in charge of the place. And she really is. Like she takes on a role in that lead singer position. And you're no longer seeing them as Floor Jansen, the person. You're seeing Floor as the band leader, as the vocalist of the band. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah, so cool. It, it's. It's something unspoken, like when a person can step on stage and they demand respect or they have that presence. Her presence is, that's the other thing. It's not just the way she sings, it's ha or it's not just the fact that she has chops and she has pipes. It's her presence on stage and the way she does it. Like, I swear she floats there, she floats up like a ghost when she appears on stage and she's like, she moves so <laughs> fluidly. I can't, I mean, on a podcast, I can't describe, you just have to go to YouTube and look at her. Like, I, I, I'm blown away. It's so theatrical. It's like there's a touch of musical theater in it almost. And she's a consummate performer and professional. Well, especially, away, li especially live to be that in tune. Yeah. There was no miss note. Yeah, skip the music video. I mean, no offense to the music videos. They work very hard on them. But go watch a live performance on YouTube first to really appreciate Nightwish and appreciate what they can do. you got to hear them live. It's in. Not comparable, dude. Even the flute solo is not comparable. It's better live. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I liked it better than on the recording. Cool, man. They can make flute cool. They made the flute cool, man. <laughs> How is that possible? What what time are we at here? We're actually getting good. This is an hour 48 in, so we're about two hours. We're good. Uh, okay. Uh, why don't... Did you have anything else you wanted to... I just really like talking to you and your dad. No, I got nothing else on my, on well, my to-do list. We covered everything I wanted to talk about. It, it's just, uh, I guess we've come to the conclusion that it, we talked about the fact that when we listen to music, we get to appreciate every part of it. You know, like we're, we're dissecting it. Like once you are a certain level of musicianship, like even if you're just listening to a rock song, you, you can, you're like dissecting it all. You can hear how the, all the instruments are interplaying and how the harmonies are occurring and all these little mm -hmm. nuances, like you get to appreciate all that. We get to appreciate all that. And it's a blessing to be able to understand music on the level we do. Cause most people, they just listen to it. And like you said, it's probably just how it makes them feel. They're not right. thinking about necessarily what's going on musically. And uh, so to be able to understand all that is, is a huge uh, privilege and blessing, you know? And to be able to create it. It is a privilege. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. I count myself very lucky that this is a life I get to live in. I really do. I wouldn't want any other one where I couldn't play music or sing. or. Well, especially when you realize how impactful music is in yeah. so many people's lives. There isn't a single person that doesn't have a well, relationship it's, with it's music. It's the thing that saved me. And I'll tell you, I've, ha I've suffered some really bad mental illness in my time and some really bad depression. And, and there were times that... You, know, you think about, like, is life worth living? And the only thing that really ever didn't just make, give me something to hope for, but, like, answered that question definitively for me was music. Like, how much it's meant to me. How much it still means to me. How much it means to, like, share it with my children. How much it means to share it with other people and, like, learn and grow. Because music is so infinite that you can never really stop learning it if you just dive in even as a even as someone who will never play an instrument if you just sing or if you're just a music appreciator 
Like that's a journey that you could. There's endless musicians. That, that's kind of funny. Uh, you know, that's exactly the thought I had earlier. Is music is infinite. It really is. There is no end to the possibilities. There no. is no end to. None. It's it's infinite. So Symphony I, inside of each note. Yeah. So it's just it's an amazing thing, and uh, I mean, trying to wrap your brain around certain elements of music. I mean, you it really is a deep. It's a deep thing. A lot of, lot of fodder for these uh, for these conversations, folks. You can discuss when there's when there's a t- I mean, I guess you could discuss any topic endlessly. But when it comes to music, there's so many layers that go into it. I agree. Is there another hymn you want to play on the guitar, Rick, or anything else that you've crossed your mind that would be fun for you or? We can can rap a bit while you're... I had another thought, and I completely... Spaced it? Spaced it. Yeah, that's normal Uh, for you. (laughs) I space way more than you do, bro. Well, you take good notes when you talk, so you're always good What was it? It's okay if you don't know. Oh, that's what what I was going to talk about. (laughs) You know, you're talking about how music can be very therapeutic. Yeah. Because how many things can you do in life, like like when you're jamming with someone or you're just really playing music uh, by yourself even, it's in those moments nothing else matters, you, all, the, all the pain yes. just fades away and you're just inside the sound. <laughs> but I mean that's nice what it reference. means, right? Great. That's what you're in, yeah. you're in this... In this moment, that's why we. Ch- that's why I named the song "Inside the Sound." That's why I named. That's actually what the song is about. The lyrics of the song "Inside the Sound." It's exactly that. Yeah, and it's like how many yeah. other things can you? I'm sure you know an artist that when they're painting, they feel the same way. Or, uh, um, oh, I see. Uh, you know. Go ahead. Oh, we for that, Ryan. Then Anyone that's, that's engaged in that creative process, you get to escape to a different place for a while. Yeah, I see. You know where, and it's in that moment. It's just nothing else matters, and that's what I appreciate well, about music. You know. Why don't we get in one of those moments right now? You, do you get it tuned? You ready to yeah, try another? All right, enough. I'll point this towards you. There you go. All right, go ahead. You're good. You know, that's one of my favorites. I sing that one to my kids, actually. Thank you. That was that was really beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for, like, joining us inside the sound, like, Rick. It, I, I got to tell you, um, let me get it on the record here, on the recording, so uh, 
it, it can be played for posterity, but um, the man that you brought up in your son is my best friend. And I don't think he would be who he is without you. And uh, anyway, you mean a lot to me because of him. And I really appreciate you. Like, I have such a respect for your skill. And I mean, we've had other conversations, obviously, uh, off the podcast. And um, I remember the last time you and I were talking, uh, Ryan's brother literally had to pull you out of the room because like, I didn't want to stop talking and you didn't want to stop talking. And, uh, and, and he's like, we got to go. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but hang on, I'm talking to him. It's just, you know, I really enjoy the, the thank you for being so generous with your time and, and for joining us. Um, um, are you, once you get done with, like, I know you're still working through those, are you going to record them? Are you going to release them? Are you going to? Yeah, I'd like to um, get a good, um, well, a good setup. Yeah. And, uh, and. Uh, well, once you and hear go. this playback, I think you'll be surprised with the kind of quality of recording you can get with just a basic live performance. My, a lot of people get caught up in the gear, the gear lust. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but it, it's really easy if you go down to your local music shop and like you see all these great equipment that's really expensive. Like you don't need a lot of expensive equipment to get great recordings. Even just a basic mic that you can plug in through the jack in your your iPhone is going to get surprisingly good quality better than say just the one that's built into the phone. But even that's Okay. Yeah, I was you know? thinking of getting something like uh, I don't know, uh, Reaper or mm -hmm. or you know, Pro Sounds or something, and then a nice interface and I see. Know, plug a mic into that and just go straight in. Perfect. To something like. Well, certainly, um, you know, we'll talk offline if you want. Um, I have enough gear and I've got enough professional mics, and I do have the high end vocal mic the one that's for recording that would work really well with some of the voicing so you can pick up the sense the, the way more sensitive than the ones we're using now um so if you want to do any of that you know please let me know when i'm in town and i'd love to i'd love to record with you uh, but i'm just so grateful um to sh that you shared your gifts you shared your knowledge and your wisdom and and your time you're so generous and and i just but, appreciate you but yeah ryan uh been good to know him all this time but <laughs> mostly he's a product a punk of, face. i don't know how much of me rubbed off on him but <laughs> yeah his his mom had a lot to do with with it yes. too so he's she's had a very big effect in his life she's but a she's a pretty cool moms, lady you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing is to watch the two of them go at it because it's like finally someone understands me Frustrating, I can be. She's, I just feel like I have a kinship with your mom, man. Like I just, I, I really like that lady. <laughs> like she's, she's also super. Like she's, she's sharp wit, man. She's suffered me. She really all these years. She's had to suffer a lot, man. I'm telling you. Long suffering. This poor lady. The things you've done to her. Um. <laughs> so, um, I will say this too. Uh, thank you, Dad, for uh, coming and and playing because. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're playing music, you're giving a little part of yourself yes. to them. It is a service in a way, you know. And it's hmm. sharing sharing that talent is is a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, I, I probably adapted like about twenty twenty five, and they're all, you know, mostly at least about twenty. Uh, public domain so i'd like to record yeah. those and put them out and just to you know promote them just so that people know they have an alternative or 
something hearing it on the guitar might be a novel thing for yeah it really no but but it, it really is because I know all three that you played intimately right over the years but I, I really have not sat down and heard them with a solo guitar like that ever and it the feeling that I get when I hear them is it's isn't that strange like how that's st- anyway just it's so great connect in a different way kind of yes it's more of a peaceful uh peaceful yeah. spirit to it i yeah i get a i get a feeling of peace um well certainly you know you you know you know a couple of young men that can help you record whenever you're ready okay. and uh you know get, let us know um because i'd love to i'd love to help you with that project myself if if it's possible um but thank you. Thank you for supporting us and coming on the podcast, talking to us and, and you know, making us look good, I think. <laughs> Dream warriors, baby. Dream warriors. Hashtag uh, be yourself. Hashtag love yourself. Hashtag never stop singing. Um, hashtag inside the sound. <laughs> I guess, uh, Ryan, I don't know if there's much else I want to necessarily share. Because, folks, I feel like uh, as, as, as a wise, uh, wise mentor of mine, coach of mine once said, you know, if you, if you want to find us, you probably, probably will know where to find us. So um, I, think, I think we just close it out if you guys want to close you it. play us out? Yeah. I can play us out here. Here we go. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. That's what levels.